welcome to the 100th episode of Across the Margin, the podcast. I am your host, Michael Shields, and I cannot think of a better way for us to break into triple digits episode-wise than with today's guest, the author of an absolutely beautiful and insightful book. That author is Jenny O'Dell, an Oakland-based writer, artist, and educator. She's a lecturer in the Department of Art and Art History at Stanford University, and her book, which I could not recommend more, is entitled How to Do Nothing, Resisting the Attention Economy. How to Do Nothing serves as a penetrating critique of the forces vying for our attention. And while it contains in it a thorough breakdown of how our value as humans is increasingly being determined by our 24-7 data productivity, How to Do Nothing manifests itself as a true ode to being human and ponders deeply about humans' place in the natural environment and also the wonders that await us if we just find a way to divert our attention towards their existence. To me, How to Do Nothing is a celebration of nature, of community, and ultimately of embracing the mere experience of life as the highest of goals. The bounty of wisdom within How to Do Nothing is truly wild, and it was a thrill to talk to Jenny about a slew of ideas and themes in the book. We discuss the attention economy, a concept called bioregionalism. We celebrate how art can help us see the world differently and what joys might be awaiting us all if we avert our gaze from the addictive technologies that deliberately abuse our attention and look around. I know you're going to love this discussion, this interview with Jenny O'Dell. Grab the book. It's really, it's, it affected me in a deep way and I believe it will you as well. Here's my interview with Jenny O'Dell. How you doing? Good, how are you? I'm good, hanging in. Um, thank you so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Um, I love the book. It was really, really great. Um, when I, uh, just to get right into it, why not? When I, um, when I picked it up, I knew some of what it was, uh, what it was about, what I was getting into. But I was really delighted that um, a huge aspect of it had to do with uh, nature and the natural world. And um, just to kick us off, I was wondering if you could speak about how nature um, kind of directly influenced some of the ideas present in your book. Sure. Um, so I think uh, I'm not sure how much of that was planned <laughs> because <laughs> as I was kind of thinking through some of the problems that I talk about with the attention economy, I happened to be sitting in the Rose Garden, mm-hmm. which I also mentioned in the book. Um, and that, you know, it's sort of an amazing place because it's it's a municipal park. It's um, not far from where I live. And it's actually also not far from like the main drag of this neighborhood. So it's kind of this like weird secret pocket um, of this quiet sort of space uh, that is designed for you to sort of wander around and many different places to sit and just hang out for, for a while. So, um, so that's the space that I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also happened to be around the time that I was um, starting to learn how to identify different birds. <laughs> um, and there are lots of birds in that rose garden. So um, there was kind of this process that was going on in the background while I was sitting there, you know, reading these other books and kind of thinking about these questions where um, I was just kind of starting to notice more and more um, inhabitants of the mm-hmm. space, um, starting to feel kind of less and less alone, yep. um, and and finding that, um, 
you know, just by spending time there and spending time considering these other beings that have other ways of being in the world that, um, that that was a kind of pleasantly destabilizing feeling for me in terms of like breaking me out of a really like kind of myopic cycle Mm. of anxiety and dread. Um, yeah, (laughs) no, that's what, I mean, that's what nature does in an amazing way. And I love that you just mentioned how you were realizing you weren't alone and that's some of the, the, waking up and, and catching your attention um, can do to you. And you really, you, this just uh, kind of introduced me to the gl- glory of uh, crows a little bit and, and birds and bird watching. <laughs> I'm, I'm very, very interested. And um, I also loved seeing Aldo Leopold mentioned a couple of times. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I keep a, a Sand County almanac right next to my bed. Oh, nice. But um, so this kind of, the, the idea of bioregionalism kind of takes center stage in the book. And and, and that what that is, is kind of the natural characteristics uh, found in a specific place. And um, I wonder if you could speak a little bit on what's so impactful about understanding this concept and, and why it can be um, used uh, in in a way that that is, you know, kind of changes us a little bit. I, I mean, I think bioregionalism is interesting for me, both as a metaphor and as kind of a subject of attention itself. Mm-hmm. Um, as a metaphor, I find it really interesting or sort of a model for thinking because, um, you know, if you look at anything in ecology in general, um, it's really hard to actually separate different entities or yeah. to draw a hard line between them. So, like, my favorite example is, is the way that, you know, mushrooms grow around trees. Mm-hmm. And if you actually look at the point of contact between the fungus and the tree, it's like the, the fungus really, really gets in there, yeah. <laughs> like into the roots where it's almost like, a conceptual have question you, of like have what you read a bunch about the um, mycorrhizal networks and how they connect trees and the communication there. Yeah, so, yeah, so right, exactly. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, right. So it's like this. It's it's like you cannot you you pick something to look at mm-hmm. and then it just kind of expands outward. Um, and so it's true that there is difference, but at the same time you can't draw a hard line, and that kind of like difference without boundary, um, as well as like an acknowledgement of complexity, is something that I've. I found to be an interesting model for thinking. Um, I mean, in the book, I mentioned it in the context of being biracial and having, yep. you know, like being the product of two very different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that sort of inherently appeals to me. But um, I, I was thinking about, you know, this way of thinking applied to some of the problems with the way information and attention circulates on, you know, something like social media. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's, you know, that's on the sort of metaphorical side of things, yeah. but just also as like a bioregionalism in and of itself, I mean, I find it hugely therapeutic to um, feel a sense of belonging mm. in a community. Uh, I mean, I think that's a pretty human thing, right? Yep. Um, and of course, there are many different forms of that, but for me, bioregionalism is, is, one of those is an example of that. And um, I, I feel much more not only connected to the place that I, you know, I'm still in the Bay area. Mm-hmm. I grew up here, mm-hmm. but it's just, it's like a richer reality that I inhabit has more actors. Um, there's more going on all the time. Uh, this past spring, I was very attentive to birds building nests because I was reviewing a, a couple of books on bird behavior for the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had just totally had my mind blown again by Jennifer Ackerman, yeah, um, yeah. who uh, wrote *The Genius of Birds*, but um, more recently wrote uh, *The Bird Way*. It's both a feeling of kind of being more situated, but also the place that you're situated in is 
is more complex and is more fascinating. Um, and I, I really love the feeling that you'll sort of never get to the bottom of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's yeah. very yeah. different from the, yeah, it's different from the idea of like Googling something, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I want an answer to this question. Here's the answer versus like, I still hang out with the same crows that <laughs> I mentioned in the book. And it's like, I see them every day. I, I was going to ask if they're still around. Yeah, and it's like they the irony is that they just are more mysterious to me. Yeah. Even though they land a lot closer to me now and I see them all the time. I'm familiar with them on one level, but on the other hand it's like these are very mysterious beings. Definitely. It's I mean, kind of one of those things. It's the more you know, the more you don't know. And it's just it's it's mm-hmm. that's you know, daunting in some ways, but super exciting, I think, as well. And I love the idea of kinda, you know, bioregionalism, uh, thoughts about it, do it. It's you're more a citizen of the environment that you're in and you know, I just I loved also you were talking about how when you go places, I mean, how do you really know it? You know, if, you, if you're not looking at these different aspects that make it so unique and, um, you know, in the natural environment, which is so, so cool. I also love very much how you talk about um, this book kind of has got components of a celebration of parks and those that save parks. One of my favorite quotes is uh, their very existence embodies resistance. Uh, that, I thought that was really, really great. Um, oh, thank you. This, uh, the book truly highlights the power of owning our attention and, and the beauty of it. Um, what is so powerful or wonderful, I think, about gaining um, dominion over our attention, taking, kind of taking the power back there? Um, yeah, I, well, it's funny because on the one hand, um, you know, like I'm advocating in the book for this giving up of control mm-hmm. um, true, and true. sort of giving up the boundaries of the ego. On the other hand, I'm sort of arguing that you, that you have the, um, you, you maybe have agency that you don't, um, are not aware of in terms of like making choices about how you direct your attention. So it's like a little bit contradictory. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's just kind of, um, I don't know. It's like, I, I, I feel like I have this realization over and over again. I certainly had it during the pandemic where it's, um, you know, you get really, you really get in the weeds with something like, you know, uh, for example, like doom scrolling, which is like, what was like the word of the last year, right? Like, really, really <laughs> um, which I'm like, I'm not even sure if that was the word before last right. year, but, um, that's an example, right? Of just, like you get, you get sucked in, um, you're operating according to very specific principles that have sort of become invisible to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and there's like, higher order questions that you're not asking like you know do i want to be here or why am i here um those kind of like slip away um and i think there's like you know that's i think we're familiar with that from social media but i think that's like possible with any situation um and and likewise we're familiar with the idea of kind of trying to get perspective like this sort of image of like walking up onto a hill Mm -hmm. and like looking down and seeing like oh uh, I, I know I realize I'm looking at the same reality, but it looks very different from mm-hmm. up here. And then you can kind of like have a different kind of thought process. Yeah. Um, and so I think I, I and, and also <clears throat> I should say like recognizing that, that, that is, it's never going to be once. It's not like you walk up the hill and you're like, aha. And the rest of your life is just like completely enlightened. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's more of like, acknowledging that you're going to have to do that every once in a while and you're always going to get pulled back in and mm-hmm. you, you know, you live in the world with other people and, uh, and these kinds of things. So, uh, but I, I, every time that that happens to me that I have to kind of pull back, um, I'm always 
pleasantly surprised by like this. Sometimes there's this latitude that you didn't think you had that you actually do. And I, I should add what I also kind of try to specify in the book is like, not everyone has the same amount of latitude um, in that situation. But, you know, I do think that there are times when um, one might perceive that they're kind of trapped Mm. in some kind of box, but some of that is, is, you know, habit or just like not having had the opportunity or given oneself the opportunity to just step away for a minute. Absolutely. That's, I mean, well, that's kind of an interesting um, point too, is kind of, it's, you know, something you discuss and it's, it's compelling that, you know, that to escape the attention economy, you suggest you kind of don't necessarily have to log off entirely or drop out of society. That whole commune section was really, really fascinating. But um, you actually state there's no such thing as a clean break. And so I guess we can still free ourselves from some of these claims. I mean, chains and like addictions, but still be a part of things. I, I kind of like how you can, you know, you're insinuating, you know, you can live in both worlds. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I took a lot of inspiration from Thomas Merton, yeah. uh, the the monk uh, who wrote, um, I mean, the book was literally titled, I think, uh, Contemplation in a World of Action. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like really trying to think through this, this problem or this dilemma of being um, responsible to and beholden to the world while not wanting to sort of participate in it as asked. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, how can I like, how can I be here on my own terms? Um, or how can I maintain a critical distance even while I'm, while I'm here? Yeah. Um, which is like really, really difficult. His realization um, when he realized he loves people still was awesome. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And I, um, but that's an example of something, I mean, I can't speak for Thomas Merton, but I, but I think if, if one had that kind of epiphany, like, you know, as one does, like, I mean, I also quote David Foster Wallace, like talking about being in line at the grocery store I love, and realizing that, I love that you're, speech. You're, I've watched it all the time. Yeah. It's so great. Yeah. 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 It's, it's like, water. Oh, we're, you know, we're all here. Mm-hmm. It's a strange miracle. Um, but that's, you know, that's another kind of thing that I think then that can slip away from you very quickly. And then, and then you have that thought again later. Right. And I just think it's important to be realistic about, you know, like the access that you do or do not have to these ways of thinking at any given moment. But um, something that I, I have been thinking a lot about in the past year is um, like making, trying to find a more, uh, trying to, find agency in how you do interact with, um, you know, the attention economy, Mm -hmm. for example, or social media in general, Um, you know, like some things are like these platforms are set up in a, in a certain way for a certain reason, right? Like they're set up to, for you to engage with them as much as possible. You know, they have shareholders, they need to exhibit growth. Yeah, it's a company, um, and they and then they also structurally really favor certain types of expression, and then that yeah. expression is snowballs, and like you know, there's all these things, right? And there's not you as the user can't do anything about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I have been interested in just kind of like, I mean, it sounds silly, but these little things like I just recently figured out how to make um, what's trending go away on Twitter. Oh, it's like wow. this weird plugin it's new nice. yeah i because i've been looking for that forever <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know there was such a thing yeah, yeah it's um 
yeah, if you <laughs> if you just Google like make what's trending go away 2020, like you will find it. Um, I mean, I just love yeah, the like, idea of like re curating your 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 timeline and and just like make it something that that you know it, where you can't doom scroll, you can kind of happy scroll or like or just get information scroll. There's there's it takes effort, but I believe you can do it. Yeah, right. And then I mean, there's I have this argument with my boyfriend all the uh-huh. time where he's like, "Well, or you could just leave." Right? <laughs> and it's like I I I totally totally get that. Yeah. Um and I myself kind of go back and forth, but totally. um but I think like, you know, if you are in a situation where, you know, for example, I don't you work in media and you need to be on Twitter. Yes, there are yeah. these these little moments um the I don't use Facebook anymore, but mm-hmm. there I remember um back when I did I downloaded a what is it called? Facebook newsfeed eradicator. It made the newsfeed go away. Oh, wow. it was, and that's actually a big part of the reason why I stopped using it. Yeah. It's because like now, it, you know, now it's just a place where Babies. you either get messages or you have event details or something. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. there's no events right now. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> it's, you know, it had no more use to you at all. That's crazy. Yeah. And simply just being in that kind of, that more, that more, I don't know, a stance towards these things where like the center of gravity is in you mm-hmm. and you are, you have made the decision to examine this platform and to examine the ways in which you're interacting with it. Um, and realizing like, Oh, you know, I actually don't want auto playing videos in my face. Mm-hmm. Like when I am simply trying to feel connected to my friends or something like mm-hmm. that, you know? Um, and, and I think that that, that little, I think these like little shifts can actually really set you on a path. Um, potentially to like really um, being able to see the kind of absurdity of the whole thing (laughs) Um, because uh, I've noticed um, another thing that my boyfriend and I talk about a lot is if you spend some amount of time away from Twitter, let's say like a week or something Mm -hmm. or two weeks and you come back and it's like, okay, what is everyone (laughs) mad about today? (laughs) And and these people sound crazy. (laughs) All screaming into the void about something they got themselves riled up about again. I get caught up in it. I totally get it. But you're right if you step back and look at it. And I guess that also speaks to the benefit that you talk about of the outsider's perspective. You know, when you're able to go away and come back to something, you're looking at it in a new way and you're possibly, you know, uh, know, looking at something and, you know, looking at just in a whole new way. And that can be very beneficial and Lots of circumstances I can think of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's sort of an odd comparison, but you can imagine like when you go on vacation, even if it's somewhere that you like, mm-hmm. like you come home for the first couple of days, like things feel the edges of things are kind of sharper. Like yeah. you can see things a little bit better, or you have someone to come and visit you, mm-hmm. and you're walking around with them, and they notice all these weird things about you know your block that you have never noticed, totally. and so um, I've especially during the pandemic, like I have been very interested in like how you can do that for yourself. And I don't think it's easy, but I think that it's sort of a practice that can be cultivated where you can sort of learn to jolt yourself out Mm -hmm. of familiarity, a a sort of deadening form of familiarity um, or habitual ways of thinking and, and render yourself more open to surprise because I think that that has 
a direct bearing on how surprised you end up being. I love that idea. I mean, I think a lot of us have been staring at the same walls and same blocks and the whole thing. But you made me think of something that I absolutely love and that really kind of struck me in a major way. But your experience at uh, the symphony was was crazy. That was John Cage's song books. Am I right? That thing mm-hmm. that thing sounded mm-hmm. wild. By the way, it sounded so cool. But <laughs> something happened to you there that uh, I want to ask you about. What happened to you there? Um. So that piece, true to most um, or many Cage pieces, mm-hmm. um, was really effective at sort of highlighting the structure around itself. So I, you know, I mentioned in the book that I. Um, I, I had been to the symphony many times before that, and I actually was in a youth orchestra when I was mm. younger, so I was very used to the sort of structure of the symphony hall. Like, the musicians all wear black, um, you know, people filter in very quietly, you know, the, the arrangement of the orchestra is very specific, um, people clap, right? There's all these, like, little sort of conventions, and because this piece breaks so many of them, it made them visible, so, um, like, the, the performers, obviously, you know, they're not wearing... Uh, all black. Michael Tilson Thomas, besides making a milkshake, was like wearing plain clothes. Um, and uh, and the the audience was quite uncomfortable because uh, it's you know there's like the blender is going off. There's like cards being shuffled, and they they want to laugh, <laughs> yeah. but you just simply don't laugh in a symphony, yeah. symphony hall, which is another structural thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was highlighting all of these things about that setting and then when I walked outside it kind of continued outside where all of these sounds um, and sort of background things that previously background things about the street that I had walked down many times just came to the forefront and it's like I don't I I always say like I I never heard things the same way after that and it sounds like an exaggeration but it's really not it's like I I felt like I got a hearing aid I totally totally get it it's actually it really um, like I said it hit home to me I used to and still do. I go. I, well, I can't right now, but I would. I go see a lot of indie films, and you know they're usually quieter. Um, and I would see them during the day. Sometimes I would always go downtown to this theater, Land uh, Sunshine, um, and I would go during the day, and they're quiet. And I feel like my ears would kind of tune in a different way to the to the silence. And I always remembered, like when I walk outside the doors, and I would just walk down the street, and I would hear things just even the quieter things in this different way. My ears were like, you know, listening to all things at once. And it, I, I like got addicted to it. I would, you know, go back to the theater <laughs> just for it. And that, that idea that you said just really, that that was kind of the same thing. And it's just, it's, it's amazing what you can hear or what's going on around you when you're able to tune in. And that's, you know, a lot of the beauty of your book that your quote was amazing. I walked out of the symphony hall down Grove street to catch the, is it the Muni? Is that what it's called? Yeah and, yeah. yeah, and heard every sound with new clarity, the cars, the footsteps, the winds, and the electric buses. But I like this part. Actually, it wasn't so much that I heard um, these clearly. It's that I heard them all, which is really, really, really cool. And I get it. I get it. Awesome what you can hear yeah. out there. Yeah, and then there's a weird, there's a strange kind of version of that that I noticed after writing the book, which is, um, you know, like I got into bird watching. You know, in 2016, so basically the year before writing the talk that turned into that book, um, and I, some, so at Stanford where um, I teach, there are lots of birds, um, and they're in the winter, so around this time of year, there's a lot of cedar waxwings, and cedar waxwings make this very specific high-pitched sound. I, 
hard to describe. It's extremely high pitched. It's almost like difficult to hear. It's so high pitched. Um, and it's really specific. And I now really associate it with winter or fall and winter. Um, and I, in the past couple of years, I would notice when I was on campus, I would hear it and I would sort of vaguely realize that I know that sound, like that I had heard that sound before without really hearing it. Like, I know that I heard the sound, but I didn't 100% register it, and I certainly didn't know what it was. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of almost eerie, right? Because it's like there are these impressions that are sort of like buried in your memory that didn't fully make it to consciousness. Yep. <laughs> um, and now you, have the, now you have the language or the framework yeah. to, to recognize them. Definitely. That's, I mean, that also kind of speaks to that, um, that awareness, and there, there's just so much beauty to, into, in, in it in ways that we have already been talking about, how you don't feel alone, just the wonder, the curiosity to it, just the fascination with things. But um, also there's a, kind of like a bit of a responsibility there. Once you kind of open your eyes to things and you're seeing and hearing and, and realize the systems that are around you, I mean, you know, it, it, you, you can be compelled to act or care. You can kind of open up your heart um, you know, kind of be more involved in your community, whether it's the people around you or in nature as well. So there's a responsibility there to, to kind of gaining your attention back as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, I can imagine, you know, someone who starts observing birds kind of stopping at the level of like the sort of checklist mm-hmm. approach where it's like these, these birds remain at objects sort of inert objects of scientific curiosity um and and they're separate from you and um and you may like enjoy looking for them but you don't sort of really feel any relationship to them um but i i sort of maintain that if you keep looking and you're you're looking is guided by you know fascination and and desire and wanting to to see right to observe more Mm -hmm. um you 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 sort of, I mean, in, in my experience of like the most intense moments of like observation, like I'm thinking of like a, a hike that I went on a couple of years ago and I saw uh, this baby um, flycatcher. Um, just, I just happened to be pointing my eyes in the right direction. Like it was the most camouflage thing um, that was just sitting on like a tiny stick um, while its uh, parent was going around like catching bugs. And like sort of everything was completely suspended in this moment. <laughs> and I was like, it's almost like an emer- an attention emergency where like <laughs> you have to, your entire being is just like, I, I need to like memorize every detail of mm-hmm. this scene. And I'm like so amazed and surprised. And I don't know how long I was standing there. I basically stood there until they left. Um, and like, interestingly in that moment, like I was both present, but also like the, I felt like, I and the scene that I was observing had like merged in some way. Mm. Um, and I think like that's sort of a precursor to this feeling of then like responsibility or being bound up with something that something is separate from you. Um, and it's not like a, it's not something that comes from a feeling of like duty or obligation. Mm. It's more like some, what you would feel like the protectiveness that you would feel towards someone who's close to you. Yep. Um, and I mean, as a sort of, real-time example of that like the night herons that i mentioned in the book who always hang out at the kfc or used to hang out at the uh-huh. kfc um that kfc closed so they stopped hanging out there oh, no. um uh, because the dumpster was you know not being yeah, used and then yeah. yeah and then um 
a, a couple of trees that they that the night herons nest in downtown were cut down um, as part of a residential development, and then there was this whole plan to to try to relocate them to the lake with these um, decoy night herons that would like play sounds, um, and that didn't work. Uh, and so there's been just fewer of them, and I certainly see them less. And I I'm so aware of that because I'm so aware of them in general. You know, it's like it's like people that you you're used to passing on a street corner like not being there anymore yeah, yeah. um like it's it's not an abstract number like reading in an article oh there if you were night like oh. no that that loss feels like palpable to me yeah there's some i mean there's some hurt in being you know a woke or you know having your attention on on certain things especially dealing with environmental issues these days it's definitely it's definitely daunting but also that is as we've been speaking on um you know a reason to get involved a reason um you feel compelled to act and I think that's there's power in that too. And you know, can't we can't all I guess we can, but walking around with blinders on, you're not only are you not given back, but also and this is kind of like where your book is so powerful to me. It's it's about you know, embracing there's so much out there that I think if we're you know, not taking so much out there we're not taking advantage of and we're not embracing the experience of life fully and when you kind of you know get more attention and, and focus in more. There's, there's a lot of gifts out there that, that, um, you know, we could have been missing, which is really great. You mentioned in the intro that you came out of this book differently than you went in. I was wondering how so. I had these sort of questions mm-hmm. at the beginning that were unresolved and I sort of uh, resolved them through, through the process of mm-hmm. writing it, which I think you can sort of tell, right? It's like the sort of unfolding, um, like I'm tracing a path through these different texts and experiences and um, in pursuit of this, you know, kind of overarching question Mm -hmm. about attention. Um, And I, I just, I didn't know the answer. (laughs) I mean, not that I'm providing an answer, but I didn't know like where the end point of that was going to be. Um, And so I, you know, in some ways, like I'm maybe as surprised as the reader because (laughs) I, because I, I didn't, it's cool. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't able to really foresee like where that was going to go, yeah. um, and so I I think like some of the things that I express appreciation for in the book I would I was learning I, I was coming to that appreciation while writing the book, mm-hmm. not something that it sort of existed before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, you even mentioned um, I love the line you saw to double down on being human, and I, I just thought that was great. You know, there's as I was just kind of going on about, there's there's just so much out there that, you know, and then you, you when you immerse yourself in the natural environment, you do, I think you do feel more human and there's just, it's more connected to things and there's there's a wonderful, wonderful feeling. Um, I'm curious, very, very general to kind of close this out here a little bit. Um, I'm sure people talk to you about your book all the time and how it might've changed them or how they see things differently after reading it. And I was wondering um, if, if, there's been something um, that someone said to you about your book or um, just that kind of delighted you to hear, you know, hear in response to your book. Is there anything that you're happy that people are getting out of it? Yeah. I, I mean, a couple of things come to mind. Mm-hmm. One is I, I don't remember who this was or where I saw Sorry. this, but I remember someone saying who lives on the East coast saying that they um, sort of took the opportunity after reading the book to learn about the geological history of where they lived and that they were on this 
you know, learning about the type of rock and, um, and just kind of getting a, uh, cause you know, there's bioregionalism, but then there's all other kinds of contexts, yeah. right? Like other ways of situating yourself. And, wow. and it was just really cool to think about, you know, the way this book is kind of hyper local, but mm-hmm. you can apply some to of these region. methods. Yeah. To wherever you are. Um, and then I've also heard, um, from a few people about who are artists about it, helping them get out of a creative rut. Um, which is really cool because I kind of wrote the talk originally for a conference that Mm -hmm. tends to include a lot of artists. Um, and my favorite example recently is, um, there's a really great rapper named Fat Tony, uh-huh. and I just have to mention because his <laughs> album is amazing. I listen to it all the time. Shout out to Fat um, Tony. Yep. And, uh, What's the album called? I haven't heard it. Oh, let me see. Let me look it up on my computer. Yeah. Um, right. But the main, well, the, the track that has a music video is called Groovy. Groovy, nice. uh, It's a 360 music video. Amazing. Okay, it's called Exotica. So Got it. Um, and uh, uh, I don't remember how long ago. When the book initially came out, um, he sent me a really nice message and was just like, I, you know, I appreciate your book. And then uh, when this album was about to come out, he told me that the book had been a spiritual inspiration for wow. uh, for the album. Nice. Like, that's that already funny. so nice to hear. Yeah. But then I I love the album. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's just like so, I don't know, like that's just incredibly rewarding. That's awesome. No, and but you, you mentioned the first one. Um, I was... Uh, uh, I'm curious now, like kind of just to study more, like where your rain comes from, like where people's uh, atmospheric rivers, by the way, that is, I didn't, I've never been tuned into that. That's so such a cool idea. But like, yeah, where's, where does the water are we drinking? Like kind of, follow, you know, follow that back. That whole thing um, is just fascinating to me and learning, learning more about where you, you know, what's around you, where your food comes from on every level. I think um, I've been thinking about that a lot since reading it. Um yeah, and I love how you 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 mentioned a lot how artists, um, you know, help you see the world differently, and I think I think your book has that power too, you know. Well, I hope so. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's like my greatest hope for it, yeah, and um, it, does. it definitely comes from a place of like having found something mm-hmm. exciting and like wanting to share it. I mean, it's like a really, I mean, but it's like when you you know, you find something and you want to show it to someone oh. and, and have them experience like the same wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, <laughs> I was just thinking about how um, there, a, a while ago, several years ago, I went to a wedding um, in that was like up in the Klamath Mountains, like way, way, way up in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And during the day, a bunch of us went, you know, kind of swimming in a creek uh, with like, you know, this is a, it's in the Klamath Mountains, so it's like giant boulders and stuff. Yeah. And I just remember like sitting off to the side and like just staring at the pebbles <laughs> because the, the pebbles up there are crazy. Cause it's like, again, the climate mountains, it's just, there's a lot going on. Yep. Um, these are not just any pebbles. Um, and, uh, and I was like, Oh, I realized that there was like something sort of odd about me, like sitting off to the side, just, like staring at these <laughs> pebbles. So like I started putting them, I started like stacking them just to look like I was doing there something. But I actually was just really wanted to look at the pebble. I guess we can look like weirdos when we when we realize all the wonder that's out there. You know, it's not just the the action, the fun's not in your phone. There's so much to look at, so much to hear. I, I love the just the thought of um, you know the you weren't you were, you know when you start hearing the bird songs and you just kind of hit you like they've been there. 
this has been going on, you know, it's now that yeah. I'm just tuned into it now, you know? Yeah. It's uh, really humbling. Yeah. Um, and, and it's also, it's been, you know, really nice actually, um, you know, during quarantine, I really haven't been going anywhere except mm-hmm. for on the same handful of walks. Yeah. And, um, and so this kind of like vertiginous <laughs> feeling of like almost when you're, when you're looking at something in nature and you almost feel like you're like falling into it or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm like the macro lens experience. Yeah. Um, like I spent a really long time the other day just watching a bumblebee <laughs> because, because again, bumblebees are just crazy. Yeah. I mean, they're like, and it was really, I'm actually scared of bees, but yeah. um, I was trying to like get over my fear and <laughs> just observe this bee. Um, and, and just like the, the pattern and the buzz. And then I was like, watching it kind of make the rounds on this plant. And then I realized this is in a park that I sit in like all the time, um, that I'd never looked at that plant. Mm. I just, it was just like a plant that's next to the bench. And, but, but through the lens of this bee that, you know, that's kind of going around, uh, working this plant, it's like, Oh, okay. Now this this looks entirely different to me. And so, um, in a time when, you know, when a lot of us are not going very far from home, um, I mean, I, I am lucky that I live in a place that's, you know, close to parks and, mm. and has, Same. people have amazing gardens in my neighborhood. Yeah. Um, so there's a, you know, there's a lot of sort of points to, to pick to observe, but it's like, you know, you, you don't have to, if you want to be amazed, like you don't really have to go that far. Yeah. I yeah. Think. Even, even people who don't have neighbors with amazing gardens or like live near parks, there's probably more out there and just more wonder just on their streets and, and around them. And, you know, I mean, it just, it's, you know what, it's almost like a superpower when you're focusing that, that, um, that attention in a certain way. Or, you know, I mean, like, I know it sounds ridiculous, but like your ears are hearing differently, your eyes are seeing differently. And it's, yeah. just, it's, it's just, it's really, really wonderful. And I, I just loved exploring it in your book. And I love talking about it right here today. So thank you so much uh, for your time for, for this book, definitely. Um, it's definitely made me think in a lot of different ways. So thank you so much. Thank you. It was my pleasure.